Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. If you're looking to grow your business, there's only one way, and that is by building real quality customer relationships. Most marketing software will claim they do this, but they never deliver on their promises, and you need to demand more from your marketing software. And that's where Klaviyo comes in. Klaviyo helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers, allowing you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. And that's why 10,000 innovative brands, including all of our clients at Wavebreak, have switched to Klaviyo. Now, what's the secret to building those customer relationships? Tune in to Klaviyo's Beyond Black Friday docuseries to find out and unlock exact marketing strategies you can use to keep momentum going all year round. Just head over to klaviyo.com slash beyondbf for more. Link is going to be down in the show notes below. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, the founder of Wavebreak. And if you're new here at Wavebreak, we help e-commerce stores stop leaking revenue with done-for-you email marketing. And now, I'm about to get personal with you guys. By the way, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening to make sure you get notified of new episodes because I have some awesome episodes coming for you in the future with store owners of awesome companies and just they reveal everything. This episode is no different and I'm going to get into the, the like what's going down in this episode. I'll explain that in a second. It's insane. Just wait. Um, but first things first, I'm going to get a little personal with you guys. So here's a glimpse into a day in the life of Dylan Kelly, host of this podcast, founder of Weight Break. So... Basically, for lunch, I eat breakfast for lunch. That's because I, I don't eat breakfast. I like, I don't know, I call it a fast, but really it's just, I just wait to eat it. I like to be, I like to feel hungry. It's a, it's a weird thing, but I, I work good when I do it. And anyway, so I eat breakfast for lunch. That's the point, right? And typically, my breakfast is pretty standard. I'll throw in a couple eggs and uh, a few egg whites too to make sure I get my protein, you know. But here's the thing with eggs. Like after you make eggs, you got to eat them fast or they get cold. Like today, I was a little slow with my eggs and they got cold. Well, they didn't get cold, but they're starting to get cold and it reminded me how, like I started eating faster because it reminded me how bad cold eggs are. I mean, maybe you're a cold eggs fan. If you are, I don't know, that's kind of scary. <laughs> but anyway, they get cold and the same goes, you're like, where's he taking this? The same goes for your email marketing. <laughs> yep, I did that. And if you don't email your list and proactively improve your email marketing, it's only going to get worse. Your list is only going to get colder. People are only going to become more unresponsive and it's going to make less and less money from email. Worst case scenario, you actually end up in the spam folder because everybody's super inactive. So the lesson in that is don't leave email on the back burner. Don't let it get cold. Make sure it's a priority in your business. Is it the number one most important thing in your company? Well, it depends. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Either way, it is still very, very important. And the quickest way to get started on turning your email into that consistent email driver that needs to be, you don't have to pay me money. You don't have to hire me. You don't have to hire a new team member and do a bunch of interviews and all these things or, you know, find somebody to manage it for you. All you got to do 
is download the checklist I made, the email success checklist that made specifically for e-commerce based on my years of experience in managing email for e-commerce. And you can get it completely free at emailsuccesschecklist.com. There's going to be a link down in the show notes below. Download this checklist, open it up, set it next to your email software, just like put one on one screen or put it, put it, the checklist on one side of the screen, put this on the other side and go through it. And then in less than five minutes, you can just check the boxes. You're going to know exactly what you need to do to increase your email revenue. You're going to go from wondering what to do or how to do or have all these ideas to just knowing like, here's exactly what I need to do to increase my email revenue. Just knowing that alone is going to make your email game a lot more efficient. And this checklist is going to show you the simple things that you can do to take your email marketing, keep it warm and make it hot and unlock that extra six to seven figures of additional revenue per year that email can provide. And once again, you can get this checklist at emailsuccesschecklist.com. Once again, that's emailsuccesschecklist.com. So definitely go check that out if you haven't already. Like I said, link is going to be down in the show notes. And if you're enjoying the podcast, once again, make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode. Now, Every week on the show, I interview the people behind the top Shopify stores and I get them to share their secrets. And this episode is no different. I'm super excited to publish this interview. It's one of my favorite that I've done in a while. I'm super pumped to reveal it. We go deep. Um, So get ready for it. Today, I'm talking with Christy Sumer. Uh, She's the founder of a company called Encircled. And we basically dive deep into all of her well, into her entire business. But the first thing we dive deep into is, this is a little bonus topic. It's just a little snippet. It's just a few first minutes, but we dive into her summer intern strategy. And it's super interesting. um, And there's a lot of great value there. So I'm super excited for you to listen to that part. But after that, we dive deep into her influencer marketing strategy. And we get specific, everything from finding influencers to paying them to how much to pay them and like all these different things, all the questions you've probably been asking about influencer marketing in your head we answer them in this podcast. So I'm super excited to for you to listen to it. Without further ado, let's just hop right into it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Christy. Thanks for having me, Dylan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm super excited to talk to you and, and find out more about exactly what you're doing. And just to get started, like what's your story? How'd you get into this? And like what's your company? So my company is called Encircled. We are a line of versatile and ethically made women's wear. We make all of our products in Toronto from sustainable fabrics. And we really design with the idea of helping women do more with less clothing in their closets. So all of our pieces have kind of that built-in element of transformation. Either they literally transform into different styles or they're very easy to dress up or dress down. And we're really passionate about helping women build that kind of curated minimalist closet so that they're not, you know, over investing in clothing, but they're focusing on quality over quantity. And that's what we really want to teach. Um, I started originally, actually, I was inspired by traveling because I used to be a management consultant in my previous career. And I've virtually lived out of airports. And one of the things that I found was that it was really difficult as a female uh, business person to pack because... You know, you always had to bring a new outfit for every single day, and it just led to a lot of extra clothing. So I was really inspired by that idea of having pieces that you could wear multiple different ways or that you could dress up or dress down so you could get more utility and more wear out of them. And really, that's kind of how the line started. I started with one piece that I designed just on a whim while I was traveling on a yoga retreat to Costa Rica, and it kind of took off from there. 
That's awesome. I love how you created the company to solve your own problem. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw that there was travel clothing, quote unquote, travel clothing in the market, but it was very much the kind of travel clothing that you wear when you're on a trip and you never wear again. And I saw some value in the idea of having something that you could wear on a trip, but wear at home as well, because nobody wants to wear zip off pants on a day to day basis. They're not very like stylish. So I was trying to find that intersection of comfort, style and versatility. And really, the foundation of the company is built on really strong ethics as well. We're also a certified B corporation. So that's really important to us to build a company that not only is creating really high quality, versatile, good products for our customers, but is doing it in a way that's respectful of the environment as well as human rights. Nice. I love it. And so how long have you been in business now? So we're actually coming up on six years. I started the company when I was, yeah, I started the company when I was like full time as a management consultant. And I just ran it on the side on, you know, weekends and evenings and did that side hustle thing for almost two years before I quit my job and jumped into it full time. So I've been full time in the business for four years now, which is pretty crazy. Um, And it feels like a lifetime ago that I worked for somebody else. But I've definitely been enjoying the experience. And we've got a small team here in Toronto, Canada, um, that works on all aspects of the business, including design and production and marketing, um, as well as like our shipping and fulfillment. Awesome. What stage was the business at when you decided to take the leap and jump, jump from your corporate job straight into this? That's a good question. I'd have to think back to it, but I know that we were growing quickly and we were definitely in the six figure revenue range um, because I was outstripping my ability to run the business. I think that was the biggest thing is that I felt like um, I think we were probably making around 125,000 or something like that um, in revenue. And I just felt like I couldn't literally grow the business more with the time that I had available with my full-time job. And of course I wanted to be respectful to my employer and work the full hours that I need to work. And honestly, the job I was working, I had no free time because I was traveling all the time anyways and at client sites. So I really knew that I had to make a choice between either, you know, just folding this business or jumping into a full-time And ultimately, I knew in the back of my mind, I kind of felt like I didn't want to miss out on this opportunity to see what might happen if I did go full time into it. So I just decided and took the leap. And I, you know, one of my best friends said, you can always go back to consulting, you can always go back to a career, but you can never, like, recreate this product and this company again. So I just went for it. Yeah, that's so true. That's good advice. You have good friends. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. And so was that like 125K a year? Like that's what the yeah. company was, doing, was grossing? Okay, cool. And now fast forwarding to now, like can you give me a rundown of the business? Like, like I mean, I guess like either from a revenue perspective or a team size perspective, like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're like a low seven figure business now. So from a team perspective, we have currently eight full-time employees based in Toronto. And then we have two part-time quote-unquote virtual assistants who help us with um, what we call customer service, which is customer love in the evenings and weekends um, because we want to provide a really great level of service. Um, And then we have four summer interns coming on board very, very soon. Um, So we'll be about a team of 14. Um, And yeah, it's a pretty small team, but we're, we're involved in all areas of the product development. So we don't buy products from other people. We're actually developing them from our own designs and from scratch. And then everything is made here in Toronto. So 
our team is really heavily involved in the production from end to end to the fact that we do actually do some sewing in our studio as well as some accessories and stuff like that. So it's a really hands-on operation. We're not a drop shipper. We are actually literally creating the clothing from scratch and then, you know, down to hand packing it and folding it into a box for our customers. So it's definitely a very high touch experience. And we want it to feel that way because our product is premium priced in the marketplace because of the sustainability and the ethics of the of the products as well. There's a really high value to it, but there's also a high cost. So our, our prices are a little bit higher than you would see it like, for example, a Lululemon, but we believe there's so much value in that that it's worth it. So it's really important for us to provide that experience that feels like like somebody's receiving a gift to themselves. So we actually fulfill all the product out of here as well. Um, so it's really a vertically integrated business. And my goal is to make it even more so. So we started doing pop-up shops. Um, we have our first standalone pop-up shop um, coming up in a couple of weeks where we'll be taking over a shipping container and building an, uh, like a real-life store. So we're really committed to not only building the business um, in terms of growth, but also in terms of like scaling it vertically as well. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And there's there's a lot to unpack there. But the first thing I want to touch on is you said you're bringing on four new summer interns. Can you mm-hmm. tell me a bit about that? Like, what's your strategy with that? Are you just using them to have some extra hands on deck? Or are you trying to, like, nurture these people into future full-time employees? Or, like, can you, can you tell me a bit about your strategy for bringing these interns on? Sure. Yeah, we've never had this many interns. So full disclosure, we last year we had one intern um, in our production side of the business. Uh, this year we decided to go for four and definitely it's a multi-pronged strategy. So firstly, it's a program that we're working on in partnership. We have an angel investor that um, invested in our business in 2016. And so it's a partnership with uh, his company because he has a portfolio of companies that he's invested in that are all social purpose businesses. And they've created this kind of internship program. So it's really run by them and fueled by them. So it seemed like such a great opportunity because they handle all the recruiting, uh, which if you've ever hired anybody, you'll know that it takes a lot of work to hire people. Um, And yeah, it's just basically a great experience all around. So not only do we get these really high quality um, interns from great schools to help with, you know, projects in the summertime and in the summertime, it's very busy for our business as well. Um, so you get some extra hands on deck, but they're also getting some really great learning experiences in the social purpose sector. And it's really nice to see, especially on the marketing side, um, that there's people from some really top schools who are very interested in sustainability and purpose businesses where you would typically see a lot of those people going for jobs in investment banking or consulting. You're now seeing them have more interest in this sector So that's pretty cool. And full disclosure, they are all paid internships. So we don't actually do free internships here because it's not um, in line with our ethics and values of our business. So it's definitely an investment for us. But like you said, it's an investment in the future because ideally we want to have these people coming back year over year. And then when they graduate, um, hopefully we'll have positions for them full time where we can bring them into the business if it's a fit. Nice. And so what kind of things are you having these interns handle over the summer? So from the production and design side, um, definitely it is a lot of um, literal sewing. So there's some construction. So when we make a new design, um, oftentimes it goes through many stages of iteration. So you're trying to perfect the fit or the fabric or how the actual garment's made. So they'll literally be like sample sewing or cutting out a pattern by hand. There's The fashion industry is still very manual. There's not a lot done by machines. Like machines are being used, but they're all being run by people. 
So there's definitely that hand touch that goes on there. So when we create a garment, when we produce a garment with one of our um, sewing studios in Toronto and they quality check it at the sewing studio, but it actually comes in here as well. And we do a second quality check. So can you imagine like having thousands and thousands of pieces of garments that have to be quality checked in here? And we actually check every single one because we want, we don't want a piece going out. That's not to our standards. So for sure, they're going to be involved in quality checking. Um, yeah. And sampling. And also we're going to give them some pretty cool projects around um, sustainability. Cause one of our key challenges is that we have a lot of uh, production cuttings that are excess from our production process and we've been using them to create some accessories and we'd like to do more of that so we really want to use their creative brains to come up with more ideas for how to better utilize these scraps and divert them from a landfill so that's just an example on that side of the business um, in terms of marketing for sure the marketing interns are going to get involved in um, some of our pop-up shops and helping plan events and um, helping manage some of our influencers and definitely as much as we can show them in that short period of time, like four months isn't that long of a time, but as much as we can get them involved in developing content on social media, I think that would be a really rich experience as well. Nice. I like it. I like how you have a clear plan for like, I mean, at least like a high level overview for, for using these people. I think that's super helpful. And then like to add to that, like what's your plan? So I guess the thing with interns is like, and, and a lot of people's objection to them is like, I mean, besides let's, let's get the part out like, oh, they're not going to do a good job. Let's say you got some good interns. Um, <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> That'll be the baseline for this question. And then from there, like, What's your plan? Because I know like some people, it's like, okay, I'm afraid to bring on interns because like they're going to take over this work, which is great for the three months they're here doing this extra work. But then what happens when they go back to school and now there's all this extra work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think it is a reality, like when you think about it, because some of them will be, they'll all have to ship packages, because that's just part of the business. And I think it's great learning for anybody involved in the business to learn how to process an order from like end to end, um, and just what goes into all those steps. And so it'll be really nice to have extra pairs of hands on deck for that time. But the reality is in the fall, uh, they'll go back to school. We may have a couple of interns in the fall, maybe one or two, um, but definitely not the same volume. So it can it can sometimes open up that opportunity that, you know, you realize that you need to hire somebody full time or part time permanent because you get so dependent on having these extra hands and seeing how much more productive you can be. Um, uh, one of the things I often talk about, uh, when I'm asked about my business and things I will go back and change, I actually don't think I hired fast enough and people always like caution against that, like don't hire too fast, but it wasn't necessarily that I didn't hire fast enough in terms of like, I didn't hire people too quickly. It was like, I didn't actually create the space to create roles in my business fast enough. I thought I could do everything myself and that is like a bit of a mistake and I think it can really impinge on your growth. So I really like the idea of interns because I think they'll show us kind of where they can add the most value in the business. And we definitely have more than enough work and projects for them because I think we're a little bit understaffed right now for the size we are. And then, you know, that may parlay into a new role or something that we create in the fall. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. Like, I'm, I like the idea of like, okay, especially if, I mean, because definitely not hiring at some point, like, 
as entrepreneurs, it's like, you know, you start with nothing usually. So it's like, you want to hang on to everything, especially if you're bootstrapped or like you just raised a little bit of investments. Like I want to do everything myself so I can keep costs as low as possible, but you're actually limiting your growth by trying to do everything. And I love the idea that you were talking about is basically using interns to kind of like bridge the gap almost and like test that, like see like, let's see what it would be like if we hired some people to take this off our plate. And then what you might find is like, number one, I mean, that's a nice temporary commitment. So you don't even have to like commit to a full salary employee for, you know, who knows indefinitely, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, you can kind of like test the waters and see like, what would it be like if I didn't have to worry about this? Like how much more could I get done? And then by the end of those three months of the internship, you might be at a place where it's like that person is a no brainer because you were able to grow the business by focusing on the things that actually move the needle. Um, Mm -hmm. so I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, because we are a certified B corporation, we have a lot of sustainability initiatives. Like we qualify for a grant for at least part of the interns, um, salary for the summer, which is great. And that always helps any business. So I always encourage other entrepreneurs to look for those kinds of opportunities and that specific grant I probably would have never found on my own. It was another company that I know that I was networking with that told me about it. So it just speaks to the importance of continuing to build your network with other entrepreneurs because there's all these opportunities out there that you may not be aware of that you can find out from them as well. Absolutely. Um, And one thing else you kind of touched on with that, you said you're going to have your interns help manage your social media presence and your influencers. Like, can you talk a bit about your influencer marketing strategy and what that looks like? Yeah, so it's evolved over the years. I would say that when I started the company, originally we worked with a ton of travel bloggers because one of the first pieces I designed was really designed for travel. It's this like eight in one piece called the Chrysalis Cardi, and it's like changes into a dress, a top, a skirt. So it has a lot of versatility that reads really well and it's understandable from a travel situation why somebody would need this. Um, So we worked with influencers a lot at that time and it really was pivotal to growing the business. Um, You know, now the landscape is a little bit different, I would say. There's a lot more influencers than there was back then. So I would say our focus has changed a little bit because we no longer, we used to like work on work with one influencer for one campaign. And now we find ourselves working with more and more micro influencers um, for each product that we're launching. So unlike most fashion designers, we don't treat our launches like a collection. So we won't launch like fall 2019. We treat our launches like we just launch products. So we focus and make our new product the hero of the collection. So as an example, we just launched... um, a new scarf made out of organic cotton. And really their whole campaign was just about that scarf. It wasn't the spring collection. It was just that scarf. And so what we'll do is we'll, you know, seek out some influencers proactively, probably a couple months in advance of the launch and give them with some products or do some other arrangement, depending on who they are and what their reach is, and then work with them to time all their posts and all of their, you know, Instagram stuff going out at the same time as we're launching the product. Um, it doesn't always work out perfectly in terms of timing, but sometimes it does. And that's like the ideal situation, but we're really looking for influencers across a number of spaces. We've done a lot of work in the last two years with like ethical fashion bloggers. Um, but now we're starting to branch out a little bit more into health and lifestyle. So we're trying to reach a new audience who aren't maybe as aware of, um, you know, what goes on in fashion and why fashion would be environmentally, um, destructive and all that kind of stuff. And, leverage the influencers as an educational platform for their audience. Um, And that seems to be working out really well 
also. But they're definitely a key part of our business. It's just the way we work with them and the structure of that, I think, has changed a lot over the years, just as the landscape of influence has changed as well. Right. And so when you're talking about influencers, are these mostly bloggers like you mentioned, or are these also like people with large followings on Instagram and places like that? Mm-hmm. I would say it's a mix. So we have influencers and then we also have affiliates and some people, some influencers are affiliates and some are not. Um, and an affiliate is just basically somebody who, you know, is signed up to our affiliate program and will get a referral percentage of sales for every uh, link, like sale they refer through their blog. Um and not everybody who's an influencer for us is an affiliate and vice versa. But I would say we do, I do like to work with people who have a blog because I think Instagram's great and, you know, it's, it's fun to build our Instagram following, but ultimately we want to build backlinks and build our traffic to our website and build credibility and get people onto our email list. Um, building our Instagram isn't necessarily the most um, stable thing because to me it's owned by Instagram. So you never know what's going to happen with it. So I like to find that balance of somebody who can kind of have some great content on their blog mixed with some great photography and visual content on Instagram. Right. I like that. And so when you approach these people, like after you approach these people, like how do you figure out like what kind of deal to do? Like how do you determine if you're just going to send them a free product or like, do you ever pay these people? What does that look Mm -hmm. like? Yeah, it definitely, again, it varies a lot with who they are and what the reach is. We've come up with our own formula, which would probably be way too hard to explain on this podcast because it's an Excel spreadsheet. But basically what I want to try and figure out, (laughs) I come from an analytics background, so I like to get everything into numbers because it just helps me make a decision. Um, But basically I worked out like a formula that takes into account like their Instagram engagement and how many blog followers they have. And it comes up with a calculated like cost per impression. So if we were to work with this person and making these certain assumptions based on what we know from previous influencers we worked with or what the market rate is and stuff like that, what is the cost per impression? And we'll work out and see if that makes sense. And sometimes it's just product and sometimes it's product and payment. Um, It really depends. I'm totally not against paying um, for influencers because it is their time. You know, if you think about it, like a lot of these, we just worked with a Um, a blogger who lives in Mexico and like she took our product and she went out and did these beautiful photo shoots and got the photos edited and did this long blog post like that stuff takes time like and you know if you're valuing their time we would have never gone down to Mexico on our own to do that photo shoot so you know the cost to do that would be like thousands and thousands of dollars so you know the fact that she's able to do that and if we're putting a fair price on her time for investing in that i think that's important of course we never pay for people to um say positive things about us it's up to them to determine their opinion of the product and what they think um but we do provide product and we make them disclose that that's that's the case as well but i definitely think you have to look at it as another advertising channel because essentially they are creating impressions for you and if they are creating additional content like videos and photography that you can leverage on other channels like your website um, that's really valuable as well got it and so like just so people kind of have an idea of like a ballpark like can you give me a share like kind of like I don't know I guess like standard market rates for like paying influencers if there's anything like that <laughs> there, I don't think there is anything like that. It's Besides actually them just pretty... like DMing each other behind all the brands' backs, like, hey, uh, Squarespace gave me X dollars. Everybody hits up Squarespace. No. 
I, you know what, I see such a variance in this. I, and I would say that that's becoming a little bit more standard, but we don't work with, so we don't work with Instagram influencers who have like millions of followers. So we're not paying like $10,000 a post, you know, I think depending on their reach and stuff like that, it may be like, they're usually putting together packages where they'll do like Instagram posts and stories and a video and stuff like that. So, you know, it's somewhere in the neighborhood. If it's a high quality influencer who let's say has like 30,000 followers on Instagram and has a blog, you know, you're looking at least like product plus like at least, I don't know, I would say like two to $400 or something like that. But if you look at it from a return on investment perspective, like how much you need to make back from working with that influencer to even break even, it's pretty reasonable. Like it's not, it's not like $20,000. We're not working with those types of budgets because again, we're working with more of the micro influencers as well. Nice. And so micro influencer, what is that to you? Like less than a hundred thousand people, a hundred thousand following or things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, from time to time we work with people slightly over that, but for the most part, I would say it's under 50,000. Um, and we found a real sweet spot, I think, with the group actually under under 10,000. But it's hard to find them because if they are really good, they start growing their following really quickly. Right. Um, like we've worked with influencers before. I'll never forget this one girl in Toronto who had 7,000, I think, followers when we worked with her like a year ago. And now she has like 49,000. So oh it's incredible how quickly they can grow. And in an era where a lot of people would argue that the algorithms all doesn't favor every, everybody, but you know, if you're creating amazing content that breaks through and adds value, you'll always grow your following. Right. And so like with that person who has like less than, you know, just a few thousand followers, hate to say, you know, just a few thousand. Um, but like in comparison to like big influencers, like for those people who have like less than 10 K are those the people that you would typically like just send the product to, for example, Um, some of them we would do some small payment. Um, oftentimes if I'm not sure if they are a fit at first, or maybe if they're in an audience where we're not really sure if it's going to work, like for example, we've had people, you know, beauty bloggers before contact us, which is a bit outside of our normal sphere of who we'd work with. And so we'll do like a test. So we'll do, give them some product and they'll do a couple of posts and see how it goes and then kind of report back. I'd say influencers are getting more and more professional. So when I started, they, you know, they would do these posts and it would just work out. Now they provide pretty detailed analytics around what's happened, summaries and stuff like that. It's very professional. So I've had nothing but great experiences, I have to say, with working with them. Um, They're always very generous, very kind, really easy to work with. And maybe it's the niche that we're in because we are in like the sustainable fashion niche. I don't know. Um, but everybody's been really amazing. We've definitely had our share of, um, people who will just take the product for free and do content, which is awesome, but it's definitely not our expectation for sure. Um, we will work with people and figure out what, what makes sense for the brand. But again, at the end of the day, like our product um, specifically is very, very expensive to make. So the cost is, it's not like giving somebody a box of tea, like the cost of like making this garment can sometimes just one garment, the cost could be like hard cost to us could be like $40. So you kind of have to be very choosy with who you work with. Um, and figure that into your overall costs. And I think a lot of bloggers, when they understand your values and where your product's made and by who, you know, they can be very respectful of that and they kind of adjust what they're doing and work with you as best as possible. Um, but I do think it is important to, you know, be respectful of their time as well. Cause a lot of them, some of them are doing this full time and that's their income as well. 
Right. And influencers know other influencers. So if you're a jerk, they'll they'll slide in the group True. chat and put you up for nobody works with this company, uh, which you don't want. Um, but that's really interesting, especially because like, I guess it's easy to forget, like, especially if you think about it just from the influencer side, it's like, oh, yeah, they're just sending me free products, like whatever, like you forget the product costs somebody money. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's really interesting. And so like one thing interesting I thought you said also was how like these influencers will like put together packages. Is that kind of like a standard thing that you're seeing nowadays? Like as things have evolved, like when you reach out to an influencer or like they reach out to you, they're like, Hey, here's a few packages you can pick from. Yes, absolutely. A lot of them have media kits now and oftentimes we'll ask for it. Yeah. Even just like Instagrammers. Yeah, though wow. I I often ask for the media kit, and maybe that's just like my background, but I want to know the analytics. Right. So what's I mean, in these media kits? Like what 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 kind of data is in there? Um, typically, like if they have a blog, it'll show like some of their blog stats, like what their monthly unique views are, and um, how many followers they have on all the social media channels. Um, sometimes it'll say like their engagement or time spent on site. It really depends on the blogger and how much information they're they're sharing. Um, sometimes they'll show their traffic details. Um, and sometimes it's just a one pager that I would say the more established bloggers will have multi pages, they might have testimonials from other brands they've worked with and samples of their work and links and stuff like that, which oh, wow. I find really helpful. Because if you are working with somebody, for example, we worked with somebody recently who primarily does like hotel and travel reviews. She's never done clothing review. So it's helpful to see other things. So you can see how they talk about products and services and stuff like that. But it is a very professional industry. I mean, and we generally like to work with people who are exhibiting that level of professionalism because oftentimes we get a lot of DMs on our Instagram and it's just like, I'm an influencer, send me product. And you're like, okay, but who are you? Who's following you? Like, is it a fit? Because you really, if you are going to invest in a partnership and actually invest money in it, you want to make sure that their followers are aligned with you. Um, And a lot of that, you know, some of that's demographics, like looking at like who's actually following them, where they live. um, And some of it's psychographic, like what do they like content wise, what's interesting to them, what resonates with them. Um, And definitely, I would say the more established bloggers have that kind of stuff in their media kit. Yeah, that's awesome. I love like demystifying the world of influencers because I feel like it's this like even in e-commerce, like I hear from store owners all the time, like it's this mysterious thing where it's like some brands are just like crushing it and then other people are like, I don't even know how to get started. So it's really cool to hear your perspective on things and also to hear like, I don't know, it's just kind of, I don't know, I'm like smiling behind the scenes here because I'm just like, wow, these people, they have like their little one pagers and they're selling packages. It's like they read a guide on like, you know, like what is the whole McDonald's thing? Like, oh, you know, get the fries too. Like hit them with the upsell. Like mm-hmm. here's our basic package or you can get a more advanced package. It's like, what is there an influencer school teaching them this or like where? Anyway, um, there probably is. <laughs> probably. And it's like, yeah. how can we get in touch with the school so we can find the influencers directly? But um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. cool. Yeah, this was a really good conversation. Uh, it was really fun talking about influencer strategy and also talking about the whole intern thing and like using interns to test the water and your entire summer intern strategy. As we start to wrap up here, um, and before we sign off, is there anything just like closing out or, or words of advice that you'd like to end on? Yeah, I think uh, I would say like 
for your audience that building a store and, and building a brand essentially is not a quick process. It's like day after day consistency, I think is so important in your business. So the more you can show up and be consistent on the key channels where you want to be, whether that's Instagram or email or your blog or launching products, uh, the better, because it's kind of a marathon. Like You're really going for the long haul here if you are building a true brand. So you have to be consistent, you have to be dedicated, and you have to be not afraid to take some leaps and some risks and some opportunities where you see them because you never know, some may, some really cool stuff may come out of it. Right, like imagine if you never would have quit your job that first time. Like mm-hmm. you would probably still be at the same rate, like 125K a year. <laughs> yeah, or I may not even have the business. <laughs> so, yeah, like that's like if you know. things go well, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and the same with hiring, like imagine if you didn't hire those team members, Mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. And you have to think about that because I think at the beginning, you know, I was very nervous about hiring somebody and my first employee was part-time. She wasn't even full-time. She was part-time hourly. And I was so nervous that I couldn't afford her. And like you said at the beginning, you know, as soon as I hired her, I realized like, what was I thinking? Like now she can do all the shipping. Now she can do all the customer service. And I don't, I can actually focus on like, writing an email, for example, that's going to generate money so the business can grow faster. So there's that kind of like fear for sure that holds us back because nobody wants to think about hiring people and then having to like fire or terminate people because you can't afford them. So that's why I think it's good to take that process slow and be mindful and test and learn as much as possible. But at the end of the day, you can't do it all yourself. It's just not possible. You're going to need people to help you and you're going to need a team who's great to help you grow the business. And I think that's really important to come around to eventually for people because it's really key to growing and scaling your business. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And as we wrap up here, first things first, thanks so much for coming on the show. And second, where can we go to learn more about you and your company, Christy? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, You can find out about Encircled. We're at www.encircled.co. We're on Instagram at encircled underscore. And yeah, we'd love to have you guys follow us and we'll follow you back and yeah we'll share some great content together awesome and i'll link that all up down in the show notes below thanks so much again for coming on the show christy yeah thanks for having me Don. now listener before i sign off stop me if this sounds familiar your email marketing is stuck you feel like you could be doing email better you're not generating enough email revenue and you feel like you're leaving money on the table but you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this. Imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. Let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or what what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge. 
and it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures uh, to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Wavebreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible. And we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop. 